Dives, spelled D-I-V-E-S. Therefore, if any man shall take of the abundance which I have made and impart not his portion, according to the law of my gospel, unto the poor and the needy, he shall with Dives lift up his eyes in hell, being in torment, TNC 105, paragraph 5. The parable of the rich man and Lazarus, also called the Dives and Lazarus or Lazarus and Dives, is a well-known parable of Jesus, appearing in Luke 9, paragraph 20. Traditionally used as a personal name, Dives is not actually a proper name, but a description meaning rich or wealthy man, from the Latin Dives. The parable begins in the Latin Vulgate as homo quidem erat dives, meaning there was a certain rich man. Its English origin dates back to the 14th century, and reference to dives in literature has been made by Shakespeare, Chaucer, and Melville, among others. The word dives was changed from the earliest Revelation manuscripts to the word wicked in the printed 1835 Doctrine and Covenants. Doctrine of Christ Christ explained his doctrine immediately following his instruction on baptism. Behold, verily, verily, I say unto you, I will declare unto you my doctrine. And this is my doctrine, and it is the doctrine which the Father hath given unto me, and I bear record of the Father, and the Father beareth record of me, and the Holy Ghost beareth record of the Father in me, and I bear record that the Father commandeth all men everywhere to repent and believe in me. And whoso believeth in me, and is baptized, the same shall be saved, and they are they who shall inherit the kingdom of God. And whoso believeth not in me, and is not baptized, shall be damned. Verily, verily, I say unto you that this is my doctrine, and I bear record of it from the Father. And whoso believeth in me believeth in the Father also, and unto him will the Father bear record of me, for he will visit him with fire and with the Holy Ghost. 3 Nephi 5, paragraph 9. The doctrine of Christ is connected to the ordinance of baptism. Once baptized, all can receive the Father's testimony of His Son by the power of the Holy Ghost. It comes as a result of baptism. If Christ lays hands on someone, then that person can also confer the Holy Ghost by the laying on of hands. Even in the absence of such an ordained man, the Holy Ghost is given according to the doctrine of Christ to any who repent and are baptized following His direction. And again I say unto you, Ye must repent, and become as a little child, and be baptized in my name, or ye can in no wise receive these things. And again I say unto you, Ye must repent, and be baptized in my name, and become as a little child, or ye can in no wise inherit the kingdom of God. Verily, verily, I say unto you that this is my doctrine. And whoso buildeth upon this buildeth upon my rock, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against them. And whoso shall declare more or less than this, and establisheth it for my doctrine, the same cometh of evil, and is not built upon my rock, but he buildeth upon a sandy foundation, and the gates of hell standeth open to receive such when the floods come and the winds beat upon them. Therefore, go forth unto this people, and declare the words which I have spoken unto the ends of the earth. 3 Nephi 5, paragraph 9. This is Christ's doctrine, nothing more and certainly nothing less.
This is his doctrine. This is the power of redemption. This is the way the Holy Ghost is obtained. This is not all of Christ's teachings, tenets, precepts, covenants, commandments, or principles, but it is all of his doctrine. There is no more doctrine than this, according to Christ. The word doctrine is used very liberally among mankind. This was also the case when Joseph was alive, but Christ used the word very specifically and confined his doctrine to only a few statements. He accompanied it with the warning, Whoso shall declare more or less than this, and establisheth it for my doctrine, the same cometh of evil and is not built upon my rock. 3 Nephi 5, paragraph 9. Sometimes the word doctrine is used when what is really meant is a tenet, teaching, precept, principle, or covenant. Christ has narrowly defined his doctrine and did so in order to avoid the coming of evil. This doctrine of Christ will bring you in contact with God. You were meant to return to the family you came from. It is the homecoming you have always felt was needed. You do not belong here. There is something higher, something more holy calling to you. It is not found in an institution, or program, or ward, or office. It is only found in God, who is your home. The doctrine of Christ is the doctrine of God's return to be with you and abide with you. It is Him coming to sup with you. He has been knocking at the door all these years seeking entry into your life. Revelation 1, paragraph 20. If you let him come in, he will prepare a throne for you, Revelation 1, paragraph 20. Only those who have descended will be permitted to rise. Only those who humble themselves can be exalted, Matthew 10, paragraph 26. The reason for this doctrine is that it will allow those who accept and follow it to endure against all enemies. It will allow them to prevail. Even the gates of hell shall not prevail against them, meaning that death and hell can have no claim upon them. They will not be taken captive either in this world or when they leave this world. See also the glossary entry, Gospel of Jesus Christ. Doctrine of the Two Ways This ancient doctrine describes the direction that Israel, the church, or an individual may follow. It makes no difference whether it is an individual or a community. All are on a single path that goes two ways, forward or backward. Man is either gaining or he is losing. He cannot stand still. Whether a group or a person, everyone is either gaining, that is restoring, light and truth, or they are losing or apostatizing from light and truth. This world is a world of change. Nothing remains the same. Everywhere, one sees either growth or decay. These forces are at work everywhere. They are also at work within each individual. You either search out new truth, find it, live it, and thereby become restored to truth, or you back away from it. If you are backing away, losing it, neglecting it, and discarding it, you are in the process of apostasy. In a restoration process, there are moments along the way that are marked and notable. Having the inspiration of the Spirit, or feeling the remission of your sins, or receiving revelation, or having a visit of an angel are notable.
the culmination of the restoration would be to return to God's presence. Should that happen, through the second comforter's ministry, then you have been restored in full. There are two ways, forward or backward. It is not required that you finish the course in a day. But times are coming in which the environment will require of you a greater commitment as wheat on the one hand, or leave you to descend into becoming a tear on the other. So the direction you are on now is quite important. Either you are restoring truth or you are discarding it. It is easy to imagine absolutes and to think and argue in terms of absolutes good and evil, light and darkness, hot and cold, black and white. We know exactly what they are. But in the real world, we have rarely experienced the pure thing. Our own experience lies between. Yet standing on that middle ground, we are faced with absolute decisions. It is not where we stand, says Ezekiel, that makes us good or evil in God's eyes. No one has reached the top or bottom in this short life, but the direction in which we are facing. There we have only two choices. The road up and the road down are the same. It all depends on the way you are facing. You are either repenting or not repenting, and that is, according to the scriptures, the whole difference between being righteous or being wicked. There are only two ways, the way I lead, that goes upward in light and truth unto eternal lives, and if you turn from it, you follow the way of darkness and the deaths. Those who want to come where I am must be able to abide the conditions established for my Father's kingdom. I have given to you the means to understand the conditions you must abide. I came and lived in the world to be the light of the world. I have sent others who have testified of me and taught you. I have sent my light into the world. Let not your hearts remain divided from one another and divided from me. TNC 157, paragraph 52. Dominion The word dominion in the understanding of the Gentile can convey the impression of a prison warden exercising control over captives. Dominion should be understood instead to convey the idea of a gardener who is responsible for making the garden thrive, grow, and bear fruit. To be clear, the three greatest examples of wielding dominion in the correct manner as mankind should understand it are, first, Christ, who is probably without any peer, unquestionably the greatest example of one holding the greatest dominion, and who also likewise showed the greatest example of how to wield dominion. He beseeched people to believe. He pled with them for their own good. He knelt to serve them. He denied that he had a kingdom of this world. See John 10, paragraph 7. He tried to prepare people for a better one. But he was more intelligent than they all, and he was the greatest of them all. See Abraham 5, paragraph 4. Unquestionably, he held the greatest dominion, and he wore it as a light thing. His yoke was easy, see Matthew 6, paragraph 8. In this world, Adam, after Christ, held the greatest dominion, see Genesis 2, paragraph 8. Adam taught and pled and instructed, but he did not abridge the agency of his children, even when one of his sons killed another of his sons. See Genesis 3, paragraph 4. Adam did not execute Cain. Cain was sent away. Adam held dominion, 
but he exercised it like our Lord, pleading for the best interest of others. Adam invited and solicited all to obey God, hoping for their best interests. The third great example of holding dominion in a godly way was Moses. He is called in scripture, meek above all men which were upon the face of the earth, and yet Gentiles depict him as a bully and a strongman. Numbers 7, paragraph 22. Moses saw no reason to be jealous when others were out prophesying, would that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. Numbers 7, paragraph 19. Moses, like Adam and Christ, is an example of how the word dominion should be understood. All three were gardeners, responsible for trying to make their garden thrive, grow, and bear fruit. In reality, those who have held the greatest dominion given by God have invariably lived lives of meekness and service. They were the opposite of what Gentiles regard as a strongman. They were the opposite of a dictator or boss. They were more like loving grandfathers, gentle gardeners, and encouraging friends, trying to get the best from those who would allow them to teach. Dominions Sea Powers of Heaven Dragon The Greek word for dragon is Doctor Con Which means serpent and occurs in the New Covenants 13 times. See Revelation 4, paragraphs 2, 3, 5, 7, and 9, chapter 6, paragraph 8, and chapter 8, paragraph 4. The word can specifically refer to the great dragon who was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and also called Satan, who deceives the whole world. Revelation 4, paragraph 3. Dreams Dreams are the wool-o'-the-wisp, so insubstantial that modern, sophisticated society dismisses them without thought. Yet they are the stuff from which great messages have come from God throughout the scriptures. Dreams are the stuff of prophetic inspiration and the voice of God. The scriptures define God's dealings with men in these terms, and he said, Hear now my words, if there is a prophet among you, I the Lord will make myself known unto him in a vision, and will speak unto him in a dream. Numbers 7, paragraph 22. And Job 1 reads this about God speaking with man, Behold, in this you are not just. I will answer you that God is greater than man. Why do you quarrel against him? For he gives not account of all of his matters. For God speaks once, yea twice, yet man perceives it not. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls upon men and slumberings upon the bed, Job 11, paragraph 7. If therefore, this is one of God's historic and well-established ways of speaking to mankind, then you should expect it will be one of the means he will speak with you. If he elects to make himself known to you in this manner, you have the high privilege and honor of having spoken with God. Do not expect him to physically appear to anyone who has insufficient faith to accept his messages and dreams. If you will not accept the whisperings of his spirit through the feelings he sends to you, then why should he send more? If you are given a dream from him but cannot accept it in faith, then why should he give more? 
If you are not willing to accept his proofs in faith, which come exactly as he promises they will come, then why should he send more? He has told us what to expect. When we do not expect them, or refuse to have faith in them, or refuse to accept them as proofs, then we are not following his path. But, if we accept them in faith as his mind, his will, and his voice, then our faith is sufficient. Science follow faith. They do not produce it. Dwindle in unbelief. When one prizes his or her errors and holds them as true, when they are not, one dwindles in unbelief. Unbelief is often used in connection with losing truth, forsaking doctrine, and therefore, dwindling. The phrase dwindling in unbelief is the Book of Mormon's way to describe moving from a state of belief with true and complete doctrine to a state of unbelief where the truth has been discarded. Miracles end because men dwindle in unbelief. Elder An office in the church that Joseph Smith organized on April 6, 1830. This office had the right to preside, preach, teach, exhort, and expound scripture. Originally, elders were elected to this position by the body of members, but the practice has since changed in the LDS Church to become a calling by a presiding authority and a sustaining vote of approval by a congregation preliminary to ordination to the office. Joseph Smith was the first elder in the church. Oliver Cowdery was the second elder. Joseph Smith recorded, the authority of the Melchizedek priesthood was manifested and conferred, for the first time, upon several of the elders at the June 1831 conference. This clarifies that elder is a church office that is not related to the high priesthood, because these men were already serving in the church office of elder before the high priesthood was restored. The office of elder, like other offices such as priests, deacons, Teachers were offices in the church. They were not coincidental to having priesthood. They were offices in the Church of Christ, TNC 59, paragraphs 1, 6 to 10, and 12. These offices were elected, approved by common consent, and then filled by those elected, see TNC 6, paragraph 1, and Joseph Smith History, part 16, paragraph 17. It was some time later, after DNC 3, 1835 edition, that this church office and priesthood were conflated to mean the same thing. The office of elder belongs to the church, and whether there is priesthood present or not, the right to preach, teach, expound, exhort, baptize, lay on hands for the Holy Ghost, and bless and pass the sacrament are all things which the Lord commissioned the church to perform. This is also why, at the time Joseph and Oliver received only the Aaronic priesthood, they began to call one another the first and second elder of the church, Joseph Smith History Part 14, Paragraph 2. The Lord often spoke to the elders of my church as one category, in contrast to priesthood, which is another category. Mormons conflate the two. An elder is invited to become an actual priesthood holder, but that is dependent upon heaven alone. It may be conferred on men, but heaven must ratify, see TNC 139, paragraph 5. 
Therefore, there are a lot of elders in the church who have no priesthood. Yet they have an authoritative invitation to connect with heaven and rise up and receive it. The office of elder still continues in many of the various religious groups claiming Joseph Smith as their founder. The term is derived from respecting the holy wisdom of experience most often gained from living a long life. The term elder, in that sense, means wise or experienced, meaning someone who can provide answers because of their experience. It is used in this sense in 1 Peter 1, paragraph 20, Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Peter was not referring to offices, since there is no office of younger. He was referring to those who were to be respected because of their wisdom born from experience. Elect And you are called to bring to pass the gathering of my elect, for my elect hear my voice and harden not their hearts. TNC 9, paragraph 3 For whoever is faithful unto the obtaining these two priesthoods of which I have spoken, and the magnifying their calling, are sanctified by the Spirit unto the renewing of their bodies, that they become the sons of Moses, and of Aaron, and the seed of Abraham, and the church, and kingdom, and the elect of God, TNC 82, paragraph 16. For in those days there shall also arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if possible they shall deceive the very elect, who are the elect according to the covenant. Behold, I speak these things unto you for the elect's sake, Matthew 11, paragraph 6. And all those who will obey his commandment are his elect, and he will soon gather them from the four winds of heaven, from one quarter of the earth to the other, to whithersoever he will and be numbered with the house of Israel. Christ's parables about the Latter-day Church at his return are another disturbing reminder that even the very elect will be deceived. Joseph's addition about the elect according to the covenant makes clear this passage is not about historic Christianity. There are, and always have been, two churches only. One is true. Its members belong to the Lamb of God, the Lamb, who is their Father. One either belongs to the elect family of Christ, the church of the firstborn, or he doesn't. All other religions and philosophies are false. When a man or woman elects to receive him, he elects, at that moment, to receive them. They determine whether they are elect by their election to receive him. Elias a title, not a name, that is applied to all those whose keys were returned in this dispensation. Those included, as Joseph wrote, divers angels from Michael or Adam down to the present time, or anyone holding any key from any dispensation from the past, TNC 151, paragraphs 15 to 17. 